Hello, everyone, and welcome to PodBytes. I'm Valentina Caladina. We are live on CastBox every Wednesday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. PodBytes is a live interactive show where we talk about podcasting. This is episode number nine. Woohoo! Next week, we are going to have an anniversary. Welcome to the celebration. Guys, for questions and comments, please call or text. It would be great to hear from you. In PodBytes, we invite investors, podcasters, and other key opinion leaders to share their insights into the future of the podcast industry. The show is recorded live and uploaded as a podcast episode afterwards. You guys can engage with other listeners and guests by dialing in or writing comments in real time. You can also send virtual gifts to the host to support the show. You can find previous episodes of the show in Replace. Just go to CastBox and search for PodBytes. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining. Mariana, Erin, Antonio, thank you, guys. A week ago, we were joined by Jim Lechleitner, who is a co-founder and managing partner at the Park Bridge and an expert in U.S.-China relations. We were talking about companies that work in the area of media and entertainment and that are developing their business overseas. Also, we were talking about experience in China of Jim Leitner and some cultural differences. In today's episode, we'll be talking about corporate culture in Google, about venture investments and about investment strategy in GenFund, venture investments and venture investors in U.S. and China, and obviously what makes a great entrepreneur. In a few minutes, we will talk to Wei Jiang, who is a venture partner at GenFund, one of the most respected early-stage investors in China. It's going to be an interesting discussion. You can type your questions in the chat window and call in. But before we start the interview, let's look through some of the recent news in podcasting. Let's start with this one. The results of an interesting survey have been released. The survey was done by Radio New Zealand and ACAST, and they had about 1,000 New Zealand participants. The survey found that 31% of the listeners listen to podcast content at least once a week. The most popular topics of podcasts are society and literature. The survey also found that 25% of respondents listen to the podcast at home after work or school, and 22% listen to podcasts on long drives or road trips, reporting future five. One more. The nomination period for the 14th annual People's Choice of Podcast is already open. Podcasters need to register to participate. For more details, check the website, www.podcastawards.com. One more for talented content creators. Fiction podcast script competition is back. Austin Film Festival looks forward to connecting audiences with incredible new stories. Again, find more details on the website. Thanks, everyone, for joining. And uh, we are going to talk to a very interesting guest, but before we move to the interview, before we move on, just finally the amazing news from CastBox. CastBox announced the integration with Waze, the community-based navigation app owned by Google. That means users can listen to podcasts on CastBox while navigating to the destination with the Waze app. Users who have installed both apps on their smartphone can connect Waze to CastBox by clicking the audio icon in the Waze app and selecting CastBox from the list of supported apps, reporting pod news. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Welcome, Jenny. Welcome, Lucy. 
All right, now back to the interview. This is Podbytes Talk Show. I'm Valentina Kaladina. Today I'm joined by Wei Jiang, who is a venture partner at Gem Fund. For those who don't know it, Gem Fund is one of the most respected early stage investors in China. Gem Fund was founded in 2011 by former entrepreneurs, co-founders of New Oriental, which is the largest provider of private education in China. The founders of New Oriental are Bob Xiaoping Xu and Victor Changwang. Uh, the goal of Gen Fund is to invest in the most promising innovators. The fund was launched in collaboration with Sequoia Capital China. Gen Fund now has a network of over 600 portfolio companies, including over 10 unicorns based in China, and has offices in Beijing, Shanghai, and Silicon Valley. The total size of the fund is around $1 billion. Wei's investment portfolio includes such companies as Leap AI, Zaptal Medical, Sitcon, and many others. Wei held leadership positions in a number of world-class internet companies. Prior to Gen Fun, he was the chief marketing officer at Google Greater China. Wei was an entrepreneur himself. He had founded startups in both US and China. Earlier in his career, Wei worked for eBay, Intuit, and NBC Internet. Wei graduated from Peking University with a bachelor's degree in information systems. He also holds an MBA from William E. Simon School of Business Administration, University of Rochester. Hi, Wei. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Valentina. Glad to be here. Thanks. Excellent. I know you are on the road, so really appreciate that you found time to join Podbice today. It's my pleasure. Please, everyone, type your questions in the chat window or call in. I would like to start with the investment strategy of GenFund. But before we start, I can see lots of people are joining us. Welcome, everyone. Ryan, as as love, big skill, Matara. Yeah, so many anonymous users carry a video. Mark Mainland. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining. And it's a pleasure to have you here on the show today. We're talking to Wei Jiang, who is venture partner of GenFund. Okay, so I would like to talk about investment strategy of GenFund. And um, let me start with a quote. Uh, at GenFund, we believe that a truly great businesses start with an exceptional founder. So this is a quote from, from your website, I believe. Uh, can, we, can we have more details on that? How does the exceptional founder look like? Uh, right. So uh, uh, to begin with, uh, we invest in people, right? So um, since GenFund, um, as uh, Valentina mentioned, um, mostly invest in early stage companies. And uh, we invest from uh, angel stage to A round. Uh, that's our sweet spot. Um, sometimes we write the first check to entrepreneurs. So um, um, in general, um, when you invest in real early stage companies, you don't have a lot of data to go by. So all you have is uh, your judgment on people. Is, uh, your judgment. Yes. Right. So um, and then uh, uh, so that's why we uh, are very focused on investing on people on the few, on the entrepreneurs. And then, uh, so uh, what do they look like, right? So typically, um, they are um, ambitious person, people. They, um, they think about uh, ideas, uh, they see issues from different unique angles. 
and uh, they identify they identify um, so called pain points uh, for regular people, uh, either business or regular consumers, and then uh, they have some unique way um, to approach them. Um, they also are people that um, uh, with uh, good people skills, basically, mm-hmm. so they can assemble a highly high quality team around them. And uh, um, they typically are high energy, uh, so uh, they always um, seeming to be uh, at least waiting to change the world. Um, so there are many good qualities um, that uh, uh, you see that are very common among these entrepreneurs. And uh, um, you know, for Chen Fan, uh, we also have our uh, uh, sweet spots uh, from early days. That is um, uh, from overseas Chinese. So mm-hmm. uh, that's how Bob and Victor started their career um, as uh, right. Valentina mentioned, right? So, so they were founders of uh, co-founders of uh, um, uh, New Oriental Education Technologies, where they actually trained uh, thousands, uh, probably hundreds of thousands of people um, um, to take uh, GRE, SAT tests, and then um, uh, many of them went to uh, overseas. So that that uh, um, that's the area where they have a lot of influence. And then, uh, right, so and initially that population. Right, and now they are focusing to helping overseas returnees to pursue entrepreneurship in China. That's yeah, that's how they started it, and then uh, the uh, initial success uh, had a lot to do with the uh, overseas returnees, but now uh, they have broadened their scope quite a bit. So um, we um, the most um, recent updates will be. We have made investment in over uh, close to 900 um, companies, and um, um, so we have uh, some good successes. Right, we have uh, um, not just 10, but 23 unicorns that we invested. Oh right! Oh, yeah. that's great. That's that's really impressive. Uh, right. So your your portfolio is quite diverse geography wise. So you invested in companies in China, and now you're investing very actively in the Silicon Valley. Uh, right. Why did you Why did you choose to invest in Silicon Valley? Right. So uh, you know, from a big picture point of view, um, there are two very large uh, economic uh, entities. So uh, one of them is obviously the U.S. That's uh, probably the uh, uh, biggest um, uh, economic body uh, in the world. The second one uh, um, is China. So um, there a there is a, this. Uh, very well-known uh, Russian investor whose name is uh, um, uh, Yuri Mintler. Right, who is tech, the, uh, tech investor, of, yeah. Yeah, he's the founder of DST uh, Capital. Um, and he had an um, um, uh, assessment. Basically, um, you know, he looked at uh, the first 20 years uh, since uh, Webb uh, was born. And then uh, he also uh, kind of forecast um, for the next 20 years. So um, in the first 20 years, uh, that's from uh, 1995 to 2015, um, internet create new economy and new economy um, create new value. So the value creation in the first 20 years uh, would be, uh, by his estimate, around, nine, around $5 trillion. And then, um, so the next 20 years, uh, which you know four years has passed, um, will be $25 trillion more, right? But if you look at... Um, uh, where was the five trillion dollars uh, created? So his numbers show that um, um, over sixty percent uh, were created in one country, uh, that's mm-hmm. U.S., and uh, uh, then close to thirty percent uh, was created by um, China, 
which is the second largest uh, uh, economic body. Right. And so these two countries combined uh, would be like a little over 90% of the uh, uh, total value creation. So um, th that means uh, to us investors, right, uh, U.S. and China matter a lot. So uh, that's where we want to focus. And then um, Silicon Valley is really a, uh, the bridge between the two countries. And uh, in Silicon Valley, a lot of new ideas, new technologies uh, were constantly being invented. And mm -hmm. also, there are a lot of Chinese uh, technology people that, um, you know, came to study and then stayed in the U.S. and worked in the Silicon Valley. So, uh, so that's why, our why are you calling this, sorry to interrupt you, uh, Wei, why yeah. are you calling the Silicon Valley a bridge between two countries? Is it is because uh, so many Chinese entrepreneurs are working there? Yeah, so that's number one. Uh, there's so many of them. Um, I think uh, by some estimate, there were like half million people, Chinese uh, Chinese people, um, in oh. one way or another, uh, around here. Uh, so uh, that includes um, uh, ABCs, right? So American-born Chinese, uh, and then but they're uh, mostly uh, just um, first-generation Chinese. Mm -hmm. So they and they work here, they study and what they work. That's number one. Number two is, um, you know, Silicon Valley is the uh, epicenter of technologies uh, for us, uh, new technologies. So um, in a way that seemed to be true for both uh, US and for China. So many of the technologies were created here. Uh, they spread around uh, to uh, the rest of US, rest of the world, including China. So that seemed to be the origin of many new things. So uh, mm -hmm. that's why I, I, I tend to think of um, Silicon Valley as the, uh, the bridge. Okay, but these two markets are really different uh, and they have very own unique features. So what are the right. key factors of success in the US? Maybe you could give uh, a few key points. Yeah. Uh, for venture so, investors, for venture capitalists. <laughs> right, so uh, yes, so the, uh, in terms of uh, U.S. and China markets, um, they're um, quite different. But then the, the underlying um, things are uh, sometimes very consistent. Uh, so um, you see consistency, you also see differences. Um, so in a way, um, after a few years, uh, I am more seeing the uh, uh, complementary parts between the two economies. Um, so I'll give you some examples. Uh, you know, uh, so in the U.S., um, there are many new ideas, new technologies, new startups, and uh, um, they work hard and then they compete and then uh, some of them become very successful. Um, so if you contrast that um, to that of China, uh, there are even more startups in China, right? They move very fast. They, they work, uh, uh, you know, the term 986 um, is probably familiar to some audience. Yeah, so but maybe you can explain, yeah. Yeah. So 986 means, uh, um, you know, you start work day from 9 a.m., you end your work day at 9 p.m., and you work six days a week. So uh, so yeah. that's uh, a typical work schedule. I'm not sure if that's the case for CastBox. Uh, uh, pretty, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's similar. Yeah, yes. Yeah, right. Similar. We are working hard. <laughs> yeah, you guys do. But uh, uh, so that's typical for Chinese startups. Um, they are very ambitious, uh, very aggressive, right? Uh, in a way, um, the English expression could be like a bare knuckle fight, right? They don't wear uh, gloves when they fight. Um, and um, um, so in that case, um, you see um, 
Chinese startups move fast. Uh, they compete hard. However, the, there are a couple of differences. One is that um, uh, I, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs in the Silicon Valley, and a fair percentage of them uh, would be, look, you know, I have this great technology. It will be uh, really um, a, a disruptive technology, right? We can change this part of the industry, that part of vertical, and then uh, we're going to disrupt the whole industry. So, um, well, in China, um, you see more and more, um, uh, more on the uh, business model side, right? We have this new business model. We right. have this new, newly uh, tweeted business model. We have this uh, new approach uh, to do sales or marketing. Uh, we have um, uh, some other approach to do logistics. So um, they're really not just focused on technology, but more on the application side. Um, however, they're very, very aggressive uh, when they mm -hmm. push applications. Mm -hmm. right? um, so that's, that's uh, one of the uh, major differences. Okay, great. So uh, I, before we move on, I just want to welcome uh, the listeners that just joined. Nicholas, Francis, Jack, Tricia, Jamie, Jonan, James, MR, Ron, Brandon, Aaron, uh, Ina, Sahil, Alfred, and many others. Thank you guys for listening to us today. And we've got a question from Lucy. How do you think the U.S.-China relation will affect GenFund? Uh, yeah, so uh, it has um, uh, affected us quite a bit. Um, so uh, there's a, a new law uh, that was uh, put in place. Uh, it's called CFIUS reform. So basically, um, in the past, uh, U.S. has been pretty open to foreign investments. Um, started last year, last uh, August, um, there was this law put in place, uh, which basically uh, uh, restricted um, um, uh, in a significant way foreign investment in U.S. startups. Especially Can you explain in, uh, in simple some... words? What is it? Yeah, about? so for example... If you're a foreign investor, um, you uh, used to be able to invest in pretty much anything, um, but now uh, you are not allowed to invest in some critical technologies, for example, AI or robotics or uh, some pharmaceutical like cancer uh, treatments. Uh, many of these things are considered um, oh, critical. That's a big restriction. Yeah, very, very uh, um, broad range restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, also, if you have a lot of consumer data uh, in the U.S., uh, so that's also questionable. Um, it's in theory, um, nobody stops you from investing, uh, but you have to file for an application. Um, it may or may not uh, get approved. Um, there are a, a 45 work days uh, for the government to review. Um, there is a potentially a application fee that you have to pay. So this effectively makes it um, uh, more challenging for foreign investors uh, to participate in any of the uh, startup investments. So that's, uh, that's what's in place. Yeah. For those who just joined us, I remind you that today we're talking to uh, Wei Jiang, who is a venture partner at Gen Fund, uh, one of the most respected early stage investors in China and now uh, in Silicon Valley already. So, but Despite all the restrictions, Genfund is still very active in investments in the U.S. So where do you add uh, value? Right. So um, um, we have been very active in the U.S. And then, uh, so um, we, uh, 
used to do three things. And then, the, uh, you know, the first thing is for any um, company that we liked, uh, we invest. And uh, if this is a, a pure U.S. company, right, sometimes we co-invest with our um, um, peer uh, U.S. investors. And uh, um, if uh, in second category it would be um, this is a, a startup founded by um, a Chinese, for example, overseas mm-hmm. Chinese, then uh, uh, we would be able to invest. Uh, why? Why? As a why? Yeah. And then the third way uh, is uh, mm-hmm. uh, if uh, um, the company was started by Chinese and moreover, uh, they are uh, going to uh, move their operations to China to address the Chinese market. So uh, we are very active in uh, investing in those people. Why is it easier for you or uh, why the, what is the reason that you uh, like Chinese founders? Or is so, it easier for you just to interact with them? Yeah, so the, the biggest one is uh, what uh, uh, we uh, talk about, you know, uh, U.S. and China being the two largest markets. And there's a lot of synergy between the two markets. So that's, we feel, is our sweet spot, right? So um, you can either grow a large business in the U.S. or uh, grow one uh, in China. You don't uh, grow as many big businesses um, in other markets, basically, So uh, for Mm -hmm. investors, you know, these are the two sweet spots and then um, for us, especially. Right. So um, so that's 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 one. The second reason is, uh, you know, uh, we uh, we had our uh, fortune in the early days uh, from uh, investing in these uh, uh, sweet pockets. So, um, you know, the early 10 plus uh, unicorns, uh, most of these uh, were from overseas Chinese returning to China. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Definitely. So moving forward, uh, I would like to talk about a slightly different topic. I would would like to talk about your career in Google. Yeah. You worked as chief marketing officer for Google China for more than five years, uh, I believe, uh, until October 2016. Yeah. So yeah. this was a challenging time for Google in China, or uh, I, I believe it's always challenging time. And you yourself mm-hmm. describe your experience like uh, that, uh, actively involved in multiple moonshot products. Some remained unknown to the public. Right. Uh, yeah. So how difficult it was for Google to grow business in China and how does it adjust to the local environment? Right. In many parts, um, uh it was difficult in some other part. Uh, it was not. <clears throat> For example, um, um, when I joined Google in um, early 2011, uh, I started actually late uh, 2010 <clears throat> as a uh, advisor. So um, I really wanted to bring Google back to China. At the time, uh, Google just announced that they wanted to stop the uh, the search um, 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 in China, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, many other B2C products were still available and still um, uh, popular in China. For example, Google Maps was uh, still available at the time. Um, mm-hmm. how, how big was the office of Google in China at that time? At the time, uh, so the office remained pretty sizable. So we have a large team in Beijing and one in Shanghai, and uh, we have uh, a uh, large team in Taipei and Hong Kong. So we have four offices at the time. Now we have a few more. We have, I think, uh, Shenzhen has another one, and then uh, uh, maybe one more. Uh, but uh, in Beijing and Shanghai, we have a few hundred people uh, at mm-hmm. each site. So there are a lot of engineers. Um, there are also some uh, um, um, fair number of business people. Um, 
so uh, the 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 difficult part um, became that uh, over the um, the the uh, following few years after I joined, um, gradually um, most of the um, most of the B two C products uh, were um, not allowed anymore, uh, were banned in China, um, and uh, so that make uh, uh, makes it the the makes the business very difficult. Yeah, that's very uh, sad. Yeah. So, uh, however, on the other hand, uh, we still had our B two B business, you know. So, uh, in main, mainland China, so uh, you know, one of which is um, uh, the double click, uh, which is a uh, the the ad serving advertising right ad serving platform mm-hmm. that uh, uh, powered a lot of advertisers, um, and so that was uh, still available. Uh, and also, uh, the other significant part of business was um, uh, supporting the exporters. Imagine if you're a, a wedding dressmaker uh, in China and you try to sell your wedding dress to overseas market, for example, Germany, UK, or US, right? Um, you, you still have to use Google because you're, you're trying to advertise your uh, wedding dress to consumers in foreign countries, mm-hmm. uh, where Baidu doesn't really help. So... Um, so that's the business that uh, that was uh, uh, flourished. Um, so we uh, we had that. Uh, we also um, it's interesting that you see on um, all sort of business trying to export from wedding dress um, to uh, um, to worth movie machines. Mm-hmm. Um, they were um, very active, and then over time you also see a um, bunch of uh, app makers. Uh, for example, Castbox would be uh, one. You know, they uh, they uh, programmers, right? They make apps and then uh, um, they um, uh, they market them to uh, um, users overseas. Um, and also, um, a particular uh, group that's uh, game makers. Um, they're also very active. Um, um, there are thousands of these guys making all different games, and they're uh, quite active and uh, quite profitable. So these are some of the things that uh, we did uh, still, um, you know, in a way, um, most consumers don't notice that, uh, but they're real business. So that's in mainland China. But yeah. Hong Kong and Taiwan mm-hmm. are just business as usual, right? You know, B2C, B2B, everything goes there. Anything goes there. Right, right. Okay, so uh, what's interesting uh, out of your 20 investments, uh I, I'm not sure, like if it's uh, bigger now. Uh, at least eleven companies were started by ex-Googlers, and I think right. Renee Wang, uh, Renee Wang, a founder of Castbox, yeah. is a great example. By the way, right? Uh, what is so special about ex-Googlers, and why do you think they are successful as entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think uh, um, first of all, um, the quality of uh, uh, these guys seem to be pretty good, because Google pre-screened them. Uh, you know, I remember when I. Um, was um, admitted to Google uh, when I made, uh, was um, offered a job at Google, uh, or even before that, I had to go through a really vigorous interview process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they check your background, they check everything. So it wasn't easy to get into Google. Um, and then, uh, uh, so the quality seemed to be high. At least the uh, IQ of these guys uh, seemed to be pretty high. Um, I'm not sure how I got in, uh, by the way, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just lucky. Um, but the uh, uh, second thing is, um, uh, so Google is like a, a super octopus, right? They they have uh, their hands, their paws in uh, uh, almost every sector. Uh, that's oh, really I like this metaphor. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, they they tried everything basically. Other than social, they were um, they were successful in many things. Uh, you know, social they tried, uh, not quite successful, uh, at least uh, for the majority part of the social. Um, so, um, in a way that uh, uh, they kind of know uh, some some people at Google would know uh, pretty much uh, about uh, you know anything uh, that that's technology. Um, you know, anything technology, you find somebody that's expert. That's an expert. So um, if they see a potential breakthrough, right, sometimes um, they would um, um, probably have some ideas, right, how to take advantage of it by doing the startup. Um, and then uh, many people at Google, uh, I'm not sure what the percentage is, but uh, at least a small percentage uh, would be uh, the so-called overachievers, right? They, they get treated well at Google, but sometimes they, they want to do more. They want to change the world um, even more. So um, so they uh, still come out and do startups. Yeah. And yeah. Makes so uh, yeah. So that's uh, pretty common. Um, that makes Google a hotbed for startup entrepreneurs. You know, also it's just because if you think about the uh, the sheer number of Googlers or Google employees and the ex-Googlers, right, you know, previous Google employees, I think uh, the current number for um, employees, number of employees at Google um, has somewhere around uh, maybe 100,000, uh, maybe exceeded that already. So uh, if you think about, uh, you know, over 100,000, right, um, uh, if you have 1% of people every year who wants to do a startup, that's like 1,000. So uh, that's a, a lot. huge community. Yeah. Huge yeah. Community. Yeah. For us to invest, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, choices to make. Um, yeah. So that's basically why Google becomes a hotbed for, uh, uh, for entrepreneurs. Right. Right. Thank you guys for joining. Welcome, Celeste, Jose, Adana, Guillermo, Edward, and uh, everyone. Uh, let, let us know if you have uh, any questions. We are joined today by Wei Jiang, who is venture partner at GemFund. Moving on, uh, Wei, you are close to Google X Incubator, which is now called Alphabet X Lab, I believe. So the X uh, Incubator creates new technologies to solve some of the world's hardest problems. A few examples of their projects are balloons delivering internet to rural areas, yeah. kites right. that are used to generate electricity. Um, yeah. The one that you're very familiar with, I believe, is energy storage called Malta, which is storing yeah. renewable energy in molten salt. Right. Or, right. or for example, you invested in Dandelion, which is Alphabet X Lab spin-off that manufactures home geothermal systems. Right. Uh, how do you see your partnership with X Lab in the future? Yeah. So, uh, so uh, uh, Google X—that's um, the old name, right? X Inc. is the new name. Uh, is a super incubator for Google, and then uh, uh, they only incubate um, for the technology part. Uh, once uh, you know, one famous one uh, that almost everybody knows uh, is uh, um, Waymo. That's the Google um, self-driving car uh, unit. Right. Um, so they have many, many uh, projects. Uh, they're pretty conf- uh, confidential about uh, everything. Um, so um, uh, Valentina mentioned a couple projects that I was uh, uh, involved in. Uh, one is uh, uh, Dandelion. Um, Dandelion is a uh, um, uh, geothermal project. So um, at uh, X, basically, they wanted to solve um, a common problem for human beings, for human society. So um, 
there are a couple in the in the old days. I'm not sure if they changed it, but uh, there are a few conditions uh, one has to meet before you can go. You can get a go ahead with your project, right? One is that um, uh, your project uh, will have to benefit at least one billion people in mm-hmm. the world, right? So they're all together on Earth, uh, seven billion people or so. So uh, one billion is the cutoff line. Secondly, um, it has to be a um, technology so- solution. It's not really a religion solution or a political solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, uh, they're not particularly good at that. Um, so third, I think if I remember right, is uh, um, this technology has to be a uh, like breakthrough technology. You can't just copy somebody's technology and uh, uh, make it marginally better. Um, so uh, inside Google, we call it 10x. Right? It has to be 10x better, uh, not mm-hmm. just 20% better. So there, there are conditions like this. So in the case of a dandelion, um, you know, dandelion uh, figured that, uh, look, you know, uh, among all the crises that we human beings face, uh, energy crisis uh, is um, uh, a, a present one, a pretty immediate one. And uh, um, so they figure that uh, um, for average family, uh, your energy consumption or 40 to 70% of your energy consumption um, uh, would be from heating and cooling. So uh, what we do for heating and cooling, we use electricity, we use gas, we use some other things. But um, uh, can we use geothermal, right? So that's the, the big question. So mm-hmm. uh, they, their solution is... Um, they, uh, if you have a backyard or uh, or a front yard, even a small one, right? They dig a hole um, in your <coughs> in your yard, and then they uh, um, they drill it uh, to I think a hundred meter down, and they make a loop. They use a big plastic uh, pipe, and they fill it with water. So then uh, uh, they make the water run, right? So I think uh, below fifty meters uh, in the ground. The, what the temperature uh, keeps consistent. So they uh, um, then uh, uh, say in in summertime uh, when your room temperature is thirty, you get the water, and then uh, the water's temperature is constantly uh, I think thirteen point two degrees centigrade, and then um, uh, they get the um, um, they they get the hot air from your room and they pump it in the uh, in the pipe. And they keep going, right? So your your um, room air is constantly moving, and then mm-hmm. uh, so you feel cool. Uh, in winter, they do the opposite. Um, uh, they get the uh, heat out of the thirteen point two degrees centigrade water, uh, which becomes uh, let's say two degrees. <clears throat> but um, they compress the heat and they pump it into your room, so you feel uh, warmer. Mm-hmm. So uh, in a way, it's really a significant energy saving, right? Uh, typically, they would go around and then uh, um, they knock on your door and say, uh, "Hey, Valentina, did you uh, uh, heat your uh, house uh, last month uh, at the cost of, uh, let's say, uh, eight hundred dollars? Uh, do you want to cut it down to a significantly lower number? I say, you know, four hundred dollars. And then um, if you say uh, yes, you know, this is a good solution, right? And then uh, both for money saving and for environmental protection." So I, I don't imagine there's a reason that uh, you would say no. Um, so that's basically yeah. the... Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Speaking about Dundelian, uh, does it have any specific markets in mind? Uh, what kind of market yeah. they have in mind? They the do, they do. So uh, since the uh, um, uh, the beginning of operation, 
they moved their headquarters from Silicon Valley to New York. So they've been drilling um, uh, along the uh, Hudson River Valley in New York, upstate New mm -hmm. York. Uh, I think uh, they're also getting into the, the adjacent states, uh, for example, Massachusetts. So the local state government have been really supportive. Um, and then uh, uh, in some states, uh, for example, New York, uh, they even offer uh, subsidized uh, 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 subsidize, uh, to, uh, to have this done. You know, for example, the drilling uh, typically uh, costs you um, $20,000, uh, hardware, labor, all inclusive. But the New York State will offer uh, $12,000. So um, then the, the rest, you can, if you need to, you can get the bank loans. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, for future, for the future uh, application, is it for um, developing markets or for the developed markets? So for now, they're focusing on the U.S. market. Uh, so they will do uh, the very cold areas uh, in winter and the very hot areas uh, in summer. Mm -hmm. But uh, once they're done with the U.S. domestic market, um, they will um, face the, the uh, uh, international market, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Speaking about your partnership, uh, partnership of uh, Gem Fund and uh, X Incubator, so how do you mm -hmm. see the future? Yeah, so uh, we are uh, good partners. So uh, I personally advise uh, some of the, uh, um, you know, um, confidential projects uh, by the time, uh, you know, a year or two uh, before they go commercial. Uh, so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, X-Inc. only uh, really incubate on technology or mostly on technologies. And then uh, uh, by the time they're ready to spin off. Um, so for some big project, you know, for example, the autonomous driving cars, uh, Waymo, the technology needs is constant, right? They, uh, they won't be ready to spin them off anytime soon uh, out of mm -hmm. Alphabet's uh, portfolio. Uh, but uh, in the case of Dandelion, you know, the technology um, challenges were mostly under control by the time um, they were ready. So they decided to spin them off. That's where uh, Jinfan and then, uh, other investors uh, can help. Uh, we uh, not only help with capital, we also help with uh, uh, some other business issues, for example, making the right connections uh, or mm -hmm. help them recruit. Um, and then uh, so these are the few things we, we help them to do. Mm -hmm. So, and you are planning, as far as uh, I can hear from what you're saying, you're planning to continue in the future. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, okay. I support them. Okay, great. So Google X uh, Incubator is a gold mine for investors. And uh, now I would like to talk <laughs> maybe briefly about another gold mine, which is Stanford. So in one of your public talks, you were saying that Stanford MBAs are a gold mine for you. Uh, what is so special about them? What differentiates them from other MBAs? Yeah, I think uh, uh, all MBAs are uh, business-minded. Um, and uh, which is very uh, useful around here, because if you think about the Silicon Valley, right, yeah, there um, there's no shortage. Well, there's a shortage always, but uh, there are plenty of uh, uh, technology talented people. Um, and then um, in comparison, sometimes um, almost all startups, um, you know, who are started by technology people are in need for good business people. So, um so that's good. Uh, you know, so, so if you have a business background, uh, you're needed. Um, okay. So several um, people, you know, for example, uh, MBA program in particular, right, actually had uh, created uh, quite a few unicorns 
uh, and then uh, Snapper MBAs uh, would uh, start their business uh, either in China or in the US. Uh, so we uh, we benefit a lot from these guys. Um, and then also Stanford has um, um, you know, different departments, different uh, um, uh, teams. So they have uh, uh, great technology people too. And then uh, there's a self-selection process in place. Uh, for example, if you if you're really good, right? You know, a lot of good people want to go to Stanford. If you're also having in mind, you know, that you want to start a business, uh, where is the best place, right, to go? Stanford seems to be a pretty ideal place, right? Because you can study, um, you can you can interact with the best technology talents. You can also, um, you know, before you try, you, you don't even have to try very hard. Uh, you have the chance to interact with the entrepreneurs uh, because they're all near you. So uh, this self-selection uh, process actually um, would attract a lot of uh, entrepreneurial type um, into Stanford. Mm-hmm. So um, these are a couple of factors that make Stanford a particularly good place um, um, to uh, to invest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other thing is, uh, if, if uh, all your friends around you were thinking about, uh, you know, great ideas to uh, to uh, change the world, right? You get infected sometimes, right? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, it's very inspiring. And Lucy is saying it's really informative. Uh, thank you, Lucy, for your comments. Uh, hey, guys, please let us know if you have uh, questions and comments. You Please feel free to type in, in the chat window or call in. I remind that we are talking to Wei Jiang, who is a venture partner of Gen Fund. And uh, moving towards uh, the end of the show, Uh, we finally have to talk about podcasting. There's probably 15 minutes left uh, till the end of the show. And uh, one of the pre- on the previous episodes of the show, we had a few investors that were very excited about the ease of podcasting. I would like to talk about why the podcasting apps are so attractive to venture investors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I think for me, um, you know, th- uh, so the... Uh, um, The big opportunities uh, lies um, uh, lies in where uh, a product or a startup uh, actually um, can make a big difference uh, in people's life. So um, if you think about uh, uh, you know audio and video, right? Video is now very um, significant part of uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, startup land. Um, yeah, definitely. Have, uh, yeah, you have long form videos, short form videos, especially short form videos. Uh, it's uh, very popular, especially in China. Um, but um, uh, audio part uh, is also very significant. I think um, uh, in the past, some people may argue that audio part is a little uh, undervalued, um, underappreciated. Um, because um, if you think about uh, throughout regular people's life, you know, in the day, so when people drive, they listen to uh, audio. When people um, get on a, a bus or a subway, they listen to audio sometimes. Some people uh, watch videos, uh, but when you drive, you have to listen to audios. Uh, and then uh, uh, when people sleep or when people exercise, you know, uh, audio is an um, uh, inseparable part, inseparable part uh, of uh, their exercise. So, uh Uh, I, for one, uh, I I listen to uh, podcasts uh, every time uh, you mm-hmm. know, throughout my, uh, my my time in the in the gym. So um, there are many uh, use cases um, that uh, we use audio, um, and uh, uh, so it's important to our lives. That's for sure. That's where uh, you know we pay attention. And then, uh, um, however, there are, um, still um, 
questions, right? Still, still questions to be worked out. For example, you know, how do you maximize audio as a business? Right? How do you make money? How do you serve people better uh, in new creative ways? Right. Uh, but that's where uh, all the podcasters are concerned about that, and uh, I believe the, there is no uh, answer on this question on the market yet. Yeah, yeah. So in old days, right, there are some uh, um, uh, proven models. I remember in the, uh, I think this is in the 80s, uh, I used to work, uh, I, I worked at uh, um, NBC Internet. So I remember uh, Bob Wright um, uh, used to be the chairman of uh, NBC. He was the vice chairman of GE. Mm -hmm. So um, he told us that um, uh, in the 80s, uh, NBC sold their uh, um, uh, their uh, their radio uh, networks uh, that was called Clear Channels, uh, if I uh, remember right. So then um, uh, he thought that was um, the non-core business, but then uh, he later on said he really regretted it because uh, Clear mm -hmm. Channel grew so much. And then um, so the business model there was very clear. Uh, so the advertising model uh, back then um, was uh, more effective uh, than he thought. So I think uh, that model still stands, uh, but uh, um, you know nowadays with, with new technologies, I'm sure uh, you know creative people like you guys will um, be able to figure out some new ways. Mm -hmm. Right. Hello, uh, Shark Kingdom, and let us know if you have any questions. Uh, Wei, which other segments of media and entertainment have huge potential? What would you name oh. as uh, most interesting for the investors? Yeah, so uh, I think uh, uh, video and uh, audio um, in this uh, category, there are still a lot of opportunities. I think, uh, um, you know, people um, are applying the social elements into this um, in various uh, forms and uh, flavors. Um, then uh, they also apply uh, this um, into different verticals, right? You know, I think uh, one area I looked at uh, and I'm still interested in is, uh, you know, the the, uh, the social interactions between, uh, let's say, um, uh, singers, artists, and their fans. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think uh, that interaction is um, uh, very fundamental and uh, very important to us. I think the music vertical, uh, music industry had uh, seen some um, very significant breakthroughs, you know, led by uh, first Apple and then uh, um, people like podcast, or like uh, Spotify. Um, and then uh, in the audio space, uh, you know, players like you guys. Um, so right. I think, uh, you know, uh, the the community, uh, namely between artists uh, uh, or content creators and the, their fans, um, you know, how this dynamic should be, uh, you know, how do you optimize it? Uh, that remains to be a very interesting area for me. Right. And uh, I think CastBox is a good example for that. So LiveCast uh, is a part of uh, CastBox yeah. uh, interactive initiative. So LiveCast was created specifically for podcasters to interact with their right. fans. So, right. yeah, um, guys, if you have your questions, please feel free to, uh, to type in or to call in. Okay, so uh, Wei, you're involved in many different initiatives. Uh, you travel a lot and you speak at a bunch of conferences. You are busy and you have different interests. I was curious to tackle the topic of personal development. Are you concerned about uh, continuous education? Uh, say that again. So um, I was education? curious. Yeah, I was curious to talk about. Um, personal development and yeah. con continuous education in particular. 
I see. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, so doing what I do um, um, can be challenging um, because uh, if you think about, uh, you know, my daily life, right, I talk to uh, future entrepreneurs and by definition, everybody is telling me something new. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, they wouldn't be like uh, really entrepreneurs, right? So uh, otherwise, uh, 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 their ideas are probably not uh, very, uh, very good. Um, but um, um, so I have to learn, keep learning. Uh, you know, every day there may be some new project. You know, th- today could be new energy. Uh, tomorrow could be uh, life science. Um, you know, the day after could be something else. So, um, so I have to c- catch up constantly. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there are ways to to catch up, right? You know, today internet offers a lot of time, uh, interesting um, knowledge, and then uh, YouTube in particular uh, is very helpful to me. Uh, but of course, you know, the entrepreneurs would provide you with uh, the relevant information, but you have to cross check, you have to uh, triangulate. Um, um, in order to really understand uh, what they're saying, or if what they're saying is um, uh, uh, more um, reasonable or uh, factual, um, because uh, every entrepreneur tend to um, think um, in a positive way, right? So um, uh, they t- they they tend to be more optimistic than uh, the rest of us. So um, so you have to check. Um, so I read a lot. Uh, I try to read. Um, um, the nonfiction uh, books as much as oh, possible. Right. Yeah. So, um, and uh, I also occasionally read some uh, fictions. Um, so uh, recently, Dan Brown's uh, uh, Origin, um, you know, was one book uh, that I made deception and, uh, and read. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, otherwise, uh, I try to uh, read uh, nonfictions. Uh, but I also um, uh, try to check... Um, uh, internet and YouTube for relevant knowledge. I learn a lot, right? So I spend a lot of time uh, just talking to different people. You know, one um, big advantage uh, for living in Silicon Valley is that uh, uh, you you get to talk to all different experts in uh, in their um, uh, sectors or in their space. Uh, So for example, I regularly go to Google, um, my old employer, and Mm -hmm. uh, I just grab people and talk to them, you know, and then um, uh, they're pretty generous to share as long as uh, um, it's not a confi- uh, confidential to the company. Um, you know, they ch- they're happy to share about industry trends, uh, you know, the uh, uh, technology, the cutting uh, edge technology they're working on or people are working on. Mm-hmm. So, who, do you, who do you talk to mostly? Are you, do you talk to tech people? Yeah. Uh, well, not limited, In, but uh, yeah, uh-huh. more tech people than non-tech people. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I talk to uh, the Stanford professors or you know students. Uh, I sh- I'm just curious uh, what they're working on. I go talk to Google X people. Uh, you know, um, since I have a a, a, a a trusting relationship with them, um, um, they know that uh, uh, I also have a NDA, right, non disclosure agreement, with them. Uh, so they, um, they sometimes they are very generous in sharing the overall trends and mm-hmm. uh, technology development. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know that uh, a few young entrepreneurs, a few aspiring entrepreneurs are listening to this show. So could you give uh, a valuable advice to them? What should they do and what uh, what to read and what to watch or what to listen to to ensure that they are keeping up with this world? Yeah, so I think uh, one, uh, there are a couple, couple of things that can be helpful. One is, uh, you know, uh, just 
um, try to be knowledgeable about uh, what's going on, you know, different startups. Uh, there are a lot to learn, you know, different technologies, different uh, business models, uh, how they um, uh, go about solving certain issues. Um, and then uh, uh, furthermore, um, if they had a chance to interact with the entrepreneurs, right, uh, that's even more helpful uh, because um, uh, after you invest in uh, hundreds of uh, startups, uh, some patterns uh, start to emerge. So mm-hmm. um, there are probably different ways uh, to succeed, but uh, there seem to be some common ways to fail. Um, so, you know, there um it's some common thing. ways to fail. Yeah. Could you yeah. start up that right? Uh, make some common mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, be that uh, um, internal uh, implosion. You know, so partners, um, uh, co-founders uh, don't get along anymore, and then uh, they don't know how to resolve their conf- uh, conflicts, right? Or um, some uh, uh, misjudgment uh, on the uh, um, strategic directions that they they go, uh, or uh, some um, uh, hiring issues, uh, or some uh, uh, business issues. Uh, you know, they don't know how to push uh, their idea, how to launch their idea, or marketing their idea. So um, there are common issues uh, that you see repeatedly happen to many startups. Um, so uh, one of the things I try to do. Um, is that um, as um, a uh, value add investor, as you know, we we like to see ourselves being a value add investor. Mm-hmm. We try to um, make people aware of some common mistakes um, in the early stage of startups, in the later stage of start- startups. Right? right. So the hope is that um, uh, either they avoid uh, the common mistakes, you know, uh, made by eighty percent of entrepreneurs, or uh, they have the awareness. Right. Once they step into the trap. Uh, they quickly realize, uh, you know, gosh, that's a trap. You know, let me get out. So, um, you know, instead of uh, digging deep deeper <laughs> uh, into the hole and uh, mm-hmm. get themselves in trouble. So, yeah, that, that's smart. Okay, wait. I'm curious to to talk briefly. How does your busy day look like normally? Yeah. So uh, my days uh, can be long. Uh, so in the morning, I try to do two things. Um, I try not to schedule too many meetings in the morning. Um, I uh, either um, go to the gym uh, for an hour and a half, uh, or uh, I uh, catch up with my study. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I see something new I didn't know, I need, I need to allocate some time to catch up. Um, so then uh, uh, starting at lunchtime, um, early lunchtime, uh, I would be seeing people. I would be talking to my colleagues. Um, and then uh, uh, because of time difference, uh, sometimes uh, in California, you know, even in the evenings, um, uh, that's uh, the early um, day in Beijing, right? That's, uh, that's the morning time in Beijing. So um, sometimes I, uh, my work days extend into, uh, you know, late evenings. So, yeah. Okay, so you were working till late every day. <laughs> Sometimes, most times. Okay, great. Yeah, I wish that you can take a good rest. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, it was great uh, talking to you. Thank you that you found time. Thank you, Valentina. And thank you, everybody, for your questions and attention. Thank you, guys. Uh, and that's a wrap for the show this week. You are listening to the Podbytes, and we were joined by Wei Jiang, a venture partner at Junk Fund. Wei, thank you so much again. Okay, thank you. My pleasure.
Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, I'll announce the guest for our next show very soon. Please make sure you follow the host. So go to my profile and click follow and you will be notified next time we will go live. Also, you can see the upcoming live show on the livecast page of Castbox. Use the app, call in, ask questions and interact with your favorite hosts. I'll see you next week. 